0: I you, joy is the key to a proper attitude in life. And brethren, we're all gonna face all kinds of trials and struggles. It's not all a picnic. It's not all a it's not all a hallelujah shot match. I know that, friend. But joy is not created by possessions. Joy is not created by positions. Joy is created by a person, even the Lord Jesus Christ and a good dose of holy joy would do us all well and i'm not talking about silly putty religion here brother i'm talking about something that comes from being rightly related to god and being in the presence of god i believe of all the people alive on planet earth today we should not be wringing our hands and worrying about the future and worrying about the end of the world and worrying about this and worrying about that i believe of all the people in the world we should have the joy of god in these latter days unparalleled to the rest of our society hey good morning church everybody feel good today come on if you feel good put your hands together are you ready for the word today come on you ready well, let's, let's dive right into week number two of the book of Philippians. We're going to look specifically at chapter number two today. Again, we're looking at the four chapters of this book over the course of four Sundays. And, and last week, I gave you some context behind the book of Philippians. And, and one of the things that I'm really guilty of in preaching series is that some Sundays I'll get caught up in doing a ton of recap. And I don't, want, I don't want to spend a lot of time on recap, but I do want to give you a little bit of a, a reminder or a refresher, or if you're just jumping into the series with us today, you kind of know the, the outline of the book of Philippians. So here's just a fast recap of last Sunday in chapter number one. And if you missed it, I want you to jump back online and listen, because I believe it was a powerful Sunday. I enjoyed preaching, and, and thanks for giving me that opportunity. So so Paul was writing a letter to the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul wasn't just a missionary, but he was also a church planter. So Paul would go uh, into these major metropolitan cities, and he would plant life-giving Jesus communities, and we call them churches. So if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he would go into major metropolitan cities like Atlanta, or or Washington, D.C., or New York City, And he would establish these Jesus communities so that those those counties and those towns and those cities could be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. Now, the church at Philippi was actually the Apostle Paul's first missionary church plant in Europe. And I told you that you can read about how this church plant happened in the book of Acts Chapter number 16, Paul knew about the, the, the city of Philippi, he knew about the people, he had deep affection for the people, and he spent some time in the city, and he spent some time in prison, in a, in a Philippian prison with Silas, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. And then last week we jumped into to chapter number 1, and we learned not only the theme of this whole letter that Paul is writing, but what you and I really see is the theme of of paul's life it's not just the theme of the letter but it's the theme of his life and if you're taking notes i want you to write it down here's the theme of philippians and it's the theme of the apostle paul's life he says we can have joy no matter what come on do you believe that paul says regardless of circumstances Regardless of difficulties, regardless of problems, regardless of sickness, regardless of financial pressure, you and I and the people at Philippi, we can choose joy. On the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say that one word, joy, right here. You ready? One, two, three. Joy. Joy. He says you can choose joy no matter what. As a matter of fact, in this short letter, uh, you can read it in a couple of minutes, 15 minutes, and you can read all of chapters 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul uses the word joy or the word rejoice 16 different times. And here's the irony of that. Because Paul is writing this letter about choosing joy no matter what while he's locked up in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier in prison And he's awaiting to be executed. And he's writing these words saying, look, if I can choose joy in the middle of what I'm going through, then you can certainly choose joy no matter what you're going through as well. And what I find so interesting is this. If Paul can write one of the most positive books in your Bible during one of the darkest seasons of his life, Maybe your perspective and my perspective, regardless of what we see on the outside, can be changed as well. Knowing that no matter what we face while we're on this earth, this world is not our home. Come on, somebody help me preach. That there is coming a day where there is no sickness... There is no disease. There is no job loss. Come on now. There is no financial pressure. Come on. There is coming a day. And Paul says that what we face on this earth, it is light and it is momentary. And when you compare it to this eternal glory, come on, it far outweighs it all because heaven is coming. Come on, somebody. That's a great place to say amen right there. So, so Paul writes this in chapter 1. These are the first few words of chapter 1. And I want to show you this. Because this really is the foundation of this series. It's the foundation of this book. It's the foundation of this this series. And some of the the first few words in this letter, he says, I thank my God. Four powerful words in the middle of what he's faced with. And he makes this decision to say, you know what? I thank God. And I just wonder, are, are these your four words that you use in the middle of what you're going through? As Paul addresses those who don't use these four words in chapter 2, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. And he's saying, I thank my God. In the middle of life's painful moments, in the middle of chaos and uncertainty, he says, "I I know it's natural to feel panic. I know it's natural to feel fear. I know it's natural to be angry. He says, but you can choose joy, and you can thank God in spite of what you see. Come on. And I like this because the truth is, you and I, we don't have some bad days. Difficult days are going to come. I'm not speaking that over you. I'm just being honest with you. None of us are exempt from difficulty. None of us are exempt from challenges of life. None of us are exempt from from death and destruction and disease. And Paul says, look, in the middle of it, instead of choosing to be angry, instead of choosing fear, instead of choosing panic... Can you just lift your hands and say, I thank my God. Come on, that'll preach, won't it? God, I thank you. Because no matter, let me just encourage somebody for a moment. Because no matter what you're going through today, God is faithful and God is good. Come on, the old church would say it like this. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Come on, if you know he's good, somebody give him praise. And this, this is what I believe. This, this is just my, my heart when I read through the book of Philippians. I really believe what Paul is saying is this. One of the best indicators, and I highlighted this word mature, because we've got, we've got some immature Christians out there. And I, I have been one. And at times I fall into that immaturity. But Paul says one of the best indicators of a mature Christian, somebody that is growing in their walk with Christ is how you respond to your bad days. Not how you respond to the good days. It's easy to thank God when things are good. He says one of the best indicators of maturity is how do you respond when something happens that you don't like how it happened. Do you, do you get frustrated? Do you get angry? Do you panic and do you fear? Or do you choose to say, God, I I thank you. And so I'm setting that up with chapter 1 to move into chapter 2. And, and I had this thought earlier in the week, and I want to show it to you, because so many of the sermons that I preach come from my own personal study time. And, I, I want to, and I've and i shared this with you in the past, and, and uh, many of you, you probably have adopted this through the years of your course of personal study, but this, this is what the Lord gave me for today about Philippians chapter 2 in my own personal time. I, I didn't invent this. Uh, I wish I could give credit to whoever created this method of Bible study uh, maybe somebody can Google it and find out. But it's called the SOAP method, the SOAP method of Bible study. And this is what I do. So I'll take, I'll take the Bible and I'll open it to a particular scripture. So for example, for today, I went to Philippians chapter 2, and I just begin to journal. What, what, did I, what do I observe as I'm reading Philippians chapter 2? And you can do this with any, with any verse or any chapter in the Bible. So what do I observe? And I just write down some things that really just stand out to me. Like, hey, here's a few thoughts. and I'm going to share all of those observations with you today. And then I say, now now how can I apply what I observed to my own life? So I saw some things within the Word. Now how can I apply that to my own life? And then I close out that time with prayer. And the idea is that just like you, you bathe every day, Like, you, you take a shower every day, right? You should also wash in the Word. You should soap in the Word. And so, so I, I don't want you to think that this is some, like, you know, um, you need some specific education in order to hear from God. That, that's not what this is about. When you open up the Bible and you say, speak, Lord, He will speak. Come on now. And it's not that God's not speaking to you. Some of us are just so busy that we can't slow down enough to hear what he has to say. So my challenge is, why don't you try this approach for me and just soap through the scripture. And that's what I did in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter two. And I want you to see it because it starts in verses one and two and the apostle Paul jumps right in. And this is what he says. He says, if you have any encouragement, come on, don't you just want some people with good news? He says, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, and if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to pause right there. I don't have time to do a ton of of preaching or teaching on this thought of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But I don't want us to miss the importance of what today represents. So today is considered to be the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost happened 50 days after Easter and 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. So once Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat at the right hand of the Father where he is today. And the Bible says that he's making intercession for his people. Come on, that should encourage you right there that Jesus Christ is praying for you. That after that, 10 days after that, some guys got together in what's called the upper room. And in the upper room, the baptism of the Holy Spirit descended on them. The Holy Spirit descended on them, and they began to speak in other languages. They began to speak in a, in a new tongue. And it was in that moment on the day of Pentecost that Peter stepped outside of the upper room in a two story apartment window building. He looked out the window, he walked onto the balcony. And he preached a sermon where over 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And the Bible says that ever since then, the day of Pentecost, that God has been adding, Christ has been adding to the church daily. So today really is the birthday of the church. And you can read about the day of Pentecost and the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul knew all about what it was like to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, it was Paul who said this to the Corinthian church. He said, for I do not speak with wise and persuasive words, but I speak with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Come on, that'll preach, won't it? And so Paul's saying, if you've got any encouragement with being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, watch what he says. He says, then make my... Joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. All right, now let me show you this. Paul is not in these two verses of Scripture doubting their Christian faith. What Paul is doing in verses one and two of chapter two is he is reminding the church at Philippi what the result of their faith should be so he's not challenging their faith he's just reminding them that if you are in christ jesus then this should be what we see does that make sense and he's saying this he says if you're in fellowship with the holy spirit then you are responsible to show the love of jesus to other people and now let me really mess up some of your theology And that, ladies and gentlemen, is fully what it means to be Pentecostal, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Being Spirit-filled or Pentecostal is not about wild church services that last a day and a half. Although if God shows up in that way, let it be so. But what it really means to be Pentecostal is to be filled with the power to go and make a difference in the lives of people that do not know Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then you are responsible to share the love of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and I'm showing you these first two verses. He says, and if you aren't united together, if you can't get along with one another, if you can't play together in unity then your witness, because you say that you're a Christian, but you don't act like it, he says, if you can't be united together, then your witness to the world will be weak. It will be weak. And then he says this, and I like this. He says, he says, and if you can get along, and if you can have fellowship with the Spirit, and you can love with the same type of love, then his joy can be even greater if they're living at peace with each other. And I thought about this. This is like the request of every parent that I know. If you children will just get along, my life will be so much better. Come on, parents. Paul's saying, if you can just have peace with each other and live in unity with each other, then my joy will be made complete. Doesn't that sound like a parent? Now, I really want to lean in to verses 3 and 4. Because this for me is where, and I don't say this lightly, where God gave me some revelation when I soaked this uh, in preparation of today. He says this. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in what? Humility consider others better than yourselves. He goes on. And he says this, he says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now I told you the theme of this letter, which is really the theme of the Apostle Paul's life, is to have joy no matter what. And when I read these two verses in preparation of today when I was soaping it, I really saw three joy killers three ways Paul is saying that you and I can lose our joy. And I want to walk through this with you. The first one is this. We lose our joy when we're living with selfish ambition. Paul said do nothing with selfish ambition. Now watch. When selfishness and ambition move in together it is a deadly house. I'm just telling you. And let's be honest with each other because there are times that all of us have fallen into the trap of selfish ambition. And if you leave that selfish ambition undealt with and you don't handle the business, it'll hurt your family, it'll hurt your faith, it'll hurt your job, it will hurt your character, it'll destroy your integrity. As a matter of fact, selfish ambition will ruin just about everything that's important in your life. And Paul says... Do nothing with selfish ambition. I I think what he's really saying is this. Don't get it twisted. Your life is not about you anyway. And there's a part of me that thinks that the Apostle Paul, when he writes the, the church at Philippi and he gets to this verse, that he's reminiscing a few years ago when he wrote to the church at Corinth because there in his letter to the corinthians he says do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you've received from god you are not your own he says it's not about you it's not about what you can gain it's not about what you can get it's not about material possession come on i'm preaching better than you're helping me He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. He says, as a matter of fact, and I'm going to show you, he says, as a matter of fact, it's better if you just give yourself away. Come on, help me preach. And what Paul is really saying is this. He says, when we are motivated by selfish ambition, our need to win is always greater than our need to love. He says, whenever there is selfish ambition on the inside of you, then you've got one focus and one one heart, and that is to win. And he says, really, the greatest desire is to understand the need to love. He says, "So, so stop trying to live with selfish ambition. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, do nothing out of vain conceit. So, the first one is you lose your joy when you live with selfish ambition. The second one is you lose your joy when you're laced with arrogance. When you're laced with arrogance. Come on, and you and I, we know some arrogant people, don't we? As a matter of fact, if you know them and they're in the room, go ahead and point at them. No, 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 no. No, Don't do that. Now, similar to selfish ambition, vain conceit means excessive pride, it's what it means. Vain conceit means an elevated sense of one's self. It's arrogance. And Paul says, you do not need to be arrogant because the wages of your sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life. He says, he says your best attempt at righteousness is like that of filthy rags, meaning don't walk around proud like you are somebody special. He says, don't walk around like you hung the stars and the moon. He says, if it were not for god, you would be lost in your transgressions. Come on. He says, so don't be arrogant and don't be prideful he says lower yourselves in a spirit of humility and when you stay low and when you walk humble it will be Christ that exalts you high come on somebody help me preach all right let me tell you a story that I think will make this point a little bit more clear and the story is about a turtle who lived in the north that wanted to spend the winter in Florida Now, this turtle knew that he could never make that long walk from the north all the way to the south to enjoy warmer weather during the winter season. So he approached two ducks that were living on his pond. And when he went to these two ducks, he brought with him a strong rope. And he persuaded them with this idea. You hold the end of this rope in your mouth. You hold the other end of this rope in your mouth. And with my strong jaws, I'll hold on to the center and you can fly me all the way down to Florida. Well, the two ducks, they agreed on this proposal because they wanted to go south anyway. So the trip was going perfectly. It was according to plan until all of a sudden someone on the ground looked up with admiration and said aloud, wow. I've never seen anything like that in all of my life. Who in the world thought of that? Unable to resist the impulse, to take full credit for the idea, the turtle opened up his mouth and said, I did. The moral of the story is this. The turtle could not eliminate vain conceit, so the turtle was eliminated. Come on now. And any time that you are laced with arrogance, you will always lose your joy. The third thing that I saw when soaping through this was this, is that we lose our joy when we're looking for applause. Paul said this. Paul said each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. We live in a culture that is all about I and me and what I can get and applaud me for the job that I've done and applaud me for the work that I've done and applaud me for going out of my way. But Paul is really saying, and I want you to write this down, he says we need to think more highly of others than we think of ourselves. He says it shouldn't be about how much applause we get. It should be about how much applause we give. Now this idea of thinking about others more highly than we think of ourselves is not really the American way of doing things, is it? Here's an example. A few years back, the state of Illinois introduced personalized license plates for the very first time. And so you could go to the, the Department of Motor Vehicles, you could go to the DMV, and you could request your very own license plate. Well, the day that they announced personalized license plate being made to the public, they received 1,000 phone calls to request the number one as a license plate. So the official whose job it was to approve requests said this. He said, I'm not about to assign it to some one person and disappoint 1,000 other people. So he came up with a solution, and his solution he assigned the number to himself. Come on. <laughs> and if we lose our joy when we're living with selfish ambition, and if we lose our joy when we're laced with arrogance, and we lose our joy when we're looking for applause, then it brings me to this question How then can we find joy? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I have fallen into all three of those traps in my lifetime, doing things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, and so that I could get the attention of somebody else to see how good I've done or what kind of job I've done. So how then can we gain joy? And Paul Paul doesn't he doesn't hesitate. The very next verse, I showed you how to lose it in verses three and four. And verse number five, so verses three and four, he gives us the don'ts. And verse number five, he gives us the do. And he says this. He says, It's your attitude. He says, it's your attitude. And he says, Your attitude, on the count of three, both campuses, say that one word with me attitude one, two, three. He says, your attitude should be the same. It's Christ Jesus. Tell the person next to you, you need an attitude adjustment. Some of you said that like you really meant it. Wow, <laughs> I felt a little tension in the room. Now, now I want you to see this. Can can you give me some time? Because I, I want to teach this to you. Paul shows us, beginning in verse number 12, what he thinks you and I need to do in order to get an attitude adjustment. But between verses 6 and 11, he pauses to reflect on who Christ Jesus is. And he he says this in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And then scholars believe that the next five, six verses are a poem that the apostle Paul wrote. And he writes this poem with echoes, echoes of Old testament text rich with Old testament text you 'll see in this poem it 's laced with uh, Adam and his his uh his failure of humanity that we read about in his rebellion in Genesis. This, this poem is, is is laced with the, the suffering servant that you can read about in the book of Isaiah. And, and it's a, a beautifully condensed version of the gospel. And, and I wish I could say that I have all of it memorized. I'm, I'm really close with the five or six verses here. But I want to give you a little homework assignment because I think that all of us should should prepare ourselves to memorize these verses because this ladies and gentlemen is the gospel it's the gospel and he says look he says this is how you lose your joy and if you get the same attitude as Christ Jesus you can get joy now let me tell you who Jesus is so if you're taking notes because I want you to stay with me you get your joy when we learn to adjust our attitude and he says your attitude has to be just like Jesus everybody with me and now he says, now let me tell you who Jesus is. And I love it, verse 6. He says, who being in very nature God. So he's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is, is God. And, and, and if you're a part of this church and you're new here, we believe in a Trinitarian theology. That means that we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God is three in one. Come on, give me an amen right there. Amen. And so he says that, that Jesus... Jesus being in very nature God, so Jesus being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You you see where he's going? He said, if anybody could have an attitude and do things with, you know, well, this is who I am, I, I am the Son of God, the Messiah, it would be Jesus. But he said, Jesus who is like God, didn't consider that equality something to be used for his own advantage. And then he said this, and this is the gospel. He said, rather, he made himself nothing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, so God knew that you and I, we would need to be rescued from our sin, so God came down in the form of humanity, clothed as Jesus, to go to the cross so that you and I, we could be redeemed and reconciled. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself. We don't live in a world of humility, do we? And Paul says, and let me just kind of summarize this. Paul says, and this is why so many people lack joy, because they're so arrogant and they're so conceited. And they lack humility. And he says, if you want to have the same attitude as Jesus, he humbled himself, and you should too. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, God, God exalted him. And can I just tell you that, that the lower you go in humility, the higher God will take you. Come on now. The lower, the lower you are... With humility God will be the one that will exalt you God will be the one that will promote you you don't have to look for the applause of your boss or co-workers to get that promotion I'm about to preach by the way you live your life for an audience of one his name is Jesus come on now and watch this and that name of Jesus gave him the name that is above every other name and it is that at the name of Jesus every need should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then he goes on and he says, in one day every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, just because it's the word of God, can you put your hands together and say amen? He says, You don't have joy because you're doing things with selfish ambition. You're doing things with arrogance. And you're looking for applause. And he says, if you want joy, you got to adjust your attitude. And your attitude has to be that of Christ Jesus. And then he writes this poem about Jesus. And he writes this poem for two primary reasons. One, it expresses Paul's conviction of who Jesus is. Uh, this, This is who Jesus is. And he's making it sure that nobody gets it twisted about who he believes Jesus really is, that Jesus is the Son of God. But then he also interjects this poem to give us an example of who you and I can follow. That, that if, if we need someone to imitate, let it be the perfect example. And it's Jesus. And then he goes on. He says, okay, you've lost your joy. Now you can get it back. By adjusting your attitude, let it be like that of Jesus, and then he moves on. And I can just, I bet he's got a little carpal tunnel because his wrist is hurting from writing so much. And he says this, so you too, my dear friends, you must always obey God. And he says, hey, this was important when I was with you, but it's even more important now, now that I'm absent from you. And he says, continue To work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And he says, do that because God is always working in you. He makes you willing and able to obey his purpose. So here's what I, and this is just me, okay? This is my heart. I think what Paul is saying here, he says, this is how you've lost your joy Adjust your attitude and you'll get joy. Let your attitude be like Jesus who humbled himself. He came in the form of a servant. He went to, to, he paid the penalty of your sin, death on a cross. It was God that exalted him as the name that is above all names. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then he says, and now I want you to, to obey God. And I want you to work out your own salvation. Because God is always working in you. And when I read that, he, here's what I see. I think Paul is telling us that we gotta go all in with God. That he's saying, Hey, no, no more playing games. No, no more playing church games. No, no more going through the motions. And and I'm not trying to take what Paul's saying and, and, and take it out of context, but I think what the heart behind this message is this is he's saying, Hey, salvation costs us nothing. He says salvation, is, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. He says, it is received as a free gift, compliments of the grace of God. And then he says, now, while it doesn't cost you anything, it will demand everything. And he says, you've got to go all in. And I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to show you something that the Lord dropped in my spirit if you are really all in with God and it's not my place to judge. That's why the Bible, that's why Paul said you work out your own salvation, all right? But if you are really all in with God, then you are committed to always taking your next step with God, because God is not a God that is content with you sitting idle. God is not a God that's content with you being comfortable. God is not a God that's okay with you just coming to church and not being the church. Come on now. God is not okay with you just coming and singing a few songs and hearing a preacher preach and then going back into the same old, same old routine, not making a difference in this world that you live in, and God says, if you're going all in, then I'm always calling you to something next and to something new. Can I get a few people that agree with that? Let me say it like this. God always has a next step for you. He's always got a next step. And so, so th- this is how we try to help you journey on that next step, and you've seen this a few times. Now, I'm not... I've told you this before, and you know, those of you who have been here a while, you know my heart. I don't come here on Sundays to beat, beat up anybody. I figure the devil, he does that all week anyway. You ought to come to church and, and feel the love of Jesus and encouraged by the word. Because at, at the end of the day, I've read the end of the book, and we win. We're victorious. But, but you've also heard, heard me say this, and pardon the grammar, but you ain't dead. You're alive. And God's got purpose and meaning and destiny. And so as a church, we, we give you three steps to say, okay, God wants you to move. And, and Paul's saying, you got to go all in. Work out your own salvation. Obey God. And I'm challenging you to go all in. And our first, what we consider to be step, is gather. And you're doing that. That's why we, we, try, we don't call them services. We call them gatherings. Because the Bible says where two or three gather together, Jesus shows up. Come on. And, and most of you, you've got the gather part down. But, but it doesn't end with just coming to church. The next step is to grow in your relationship with Jesus. To get connected to a small group. To take, to take the responsibility of move track. To do a, to do a Bible study. To, to, to go through water baptism or, or whatever that looks like. To grow in your faith. To grab a mentor. To, to, to open up the Bible and to soak the word. Because God wants you to grow. And then the third step is to Go. Now, now now take everything that, that you're doing and tell other people. Go on a missions trip. Go go love on the community. Use your gifts, talents, and abilities and go serve the local church and volunteer in an area. And I don't want anybody to be upset with me, but I guess it is what it is. You can't say you're all in with God and you're just sitting on the gather part of this. Hey, now we're all a work in progress, and I am too. And and that's okay as long as your arrow is pointing in the right direction. But you can't continue to justify why you're not taking your next step on this reality while I'm busy. Because let me show you something. How many of you are busy? We all busy. And God says, I just want you to be all in. Why? Because our God is an all-in God. He says, I'm all in, and so I've called you and I have empowered you with fellowship with the Holy Spirit so you can be all into. I could stay there, but I gotta move. Paul goes on the very next verse and he says this do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, he didn't say do some things, he said everything. And Paul just set the standard really high. Like you gonna need some supernatural sneakers to jump that high. To do everything without grumbling or complaining. And let me give you some practical ways. When the boss asks you to stay late and there might not be overtime, I'll do it without grumbling or arguing or complaining. When your spouse asks you to take out the trash or do the dishes or help with the kids, I'll do it without grumbling or arguing or complaining. When your parents ask you to clean your room, teenager, and I love you, but the last time I checked, you weren't paying rent there, so you live in there free. Come on, parents, help me out for a minute. Like, the least you could do is clean your room, and cleaning your room isn't kicking stuff under the bed either, you know, like. You know, so when the parents ask you to have a little responsibility to do it without grumbling or arguing or complaining, uh, when, when, you get, when you get stuck uh, on the interstate going in or out of D.C. or in or out of Atlanta to sit there and not, and not yell at everybody because they don't know how to drive. We know they don't know how to drive, and we know that you're the best driver in the entire world. But I'll sit in traffic and not grumble or argue or complain. As a matter of fact, I went to a conference this weekend, and I had to travel out of town And yesterday morning at 5 a.m., the power in the hotel went out. So I woke up to a hotel room that was over 85 degrees. So I packed up my stuff because I had to get to the airport. And when I got to the elevator, because the power was out, the elevator was out. So your boy had to take the stairs. And when I got to the stairs, there was a little old lady with her suitcases... (laughs) And I knew I couldn't pass her by, although I kind of wanted to. Because we were high up in that hotel. So now I've got multiple suitcases. The bellman comes and says, I can help you. But I was too full of pride because I didn't want to tip them. Come on, somebody. So I said, no, 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 no. I got this. I made it all the way down. I loaded my luggage in an Uber. I went to the airport where my flight back to Atlanta was delayed for three hours. And the whole time. I wanted to fuss and argue and complain, and I told the Lord, You would make me preach a sermon on this, wouldn't you? He said, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Come on. Why? I gotta move, I gotta move. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, and then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. He says, here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to go all in, and then I want you to be unified, because if you're unified, you will shine. He says, if you operate in unity, you will shine. And can I tell you that unity is a sign of maturity? A, a few years prior, because Paul was, Paul was confident and adamant about preaching on the, the, the message of unity, so... A few years prior, when he wrote to the people of Ephesus, he wrote these words. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And what Paul is saying is this. He says, adjust your attitude by going all in and by living in unity. You see that? I, I think I can do it. I'm going I'm to give you the whole chapter. We're about to read the, the whole chapter, and it's only because now, as soon as he says it, he gives two examples. Here's how he closes, chapter 2. He says, he says okay, now I'm going to tell you about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So in chapter 2, he writes about three individuals. He writes about Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example. And he says, if you change your attitude and you make your attitude the same as Christ Jesus, then you can have, you can have the joy the, the joy that in spite of whatever you face, it's a no matter what type of joy. And then at the end of the book, he says, now, now let me write to you about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he, he says, I first showed you Jesus because he's the perfect example. But now let me give you two other examples because these two men are living out Jesus' story. And he says, so Jesus is the perfect example. And in, in this world, here are two guys that are living out what I just preached to you. Do you see that? So he talks about Timothy because Timothy is like Jesus because he's constantly concerned about the well-being of everybody else more than he is about his own needs or interests. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says this, he says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send who? Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Verse 20, for I have no one else Of kindred spirit, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare? He says, and watch how he's summarizing everything you just talked about. He says, because everybody else they all seek after their own interests, not the interests of Christ Jesus. He says, but Timothy, you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Do you see that? He says. So here's an example. Jesus is the perfect example, but here's Timothy. And then he says, and I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now Epaphroditus was the one that the church at Philippi sent to Paul to bring him goods while he was in prison. And he says, Epaphroditus is my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier who was also your messenger and minister to my need. He says, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. So he says, I told you about Timothy who put everybody else's needs before their own. He says, now here's Epaphroditus who got so sick that he almost lost his life while working for Jesus. And he says, for indeed he was sick to the point of death and not on him on but God had mercy on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. A couple more verses, hang in. Receive him then in the Lord with all, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life. That, ladies and gentlemen, is going all in. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Here's what he says, and I'm done. This is how you lose your joy. This is how you get your joy. This is who you model your attitude after. This is the requirement to go all in and to live in unity. Then you'll shine. And now let me show you two guys that are living that out, and if you can do that, you're gonna be all right. Come on, can we give Jesus praise? Come on. Here's the question. Our our, our musicians are moving, our campus pastors at both locations are coming. Before you leave, I want you to take one minute and then they're gonna pray for you and ask this question. Is my attitude the same as Christ Or am I motivated by selfish ambition, arrogance, and applause? Is my attitude like Jesus? Or am I motivated by selfish ambition, arrogance, and applause? Don't leave here without going all in with Jesus. And when you do, you'll feel the spirit of unity. And you will shine like the stars. Come on, every head bow every eye closed. Take just a moment and consider this question.